Welcome to Life Source Church. We are so glad you found us. We hope that you will experience God with us as you hear the preaching of the word. I've got some fun friends. Somebody left me two fortune cookies. <laughs> and I know where that comes from. I'm not sure who did it, though. I'll have to search that out. I was talking to somebody last week, and um, talking about the whole idea of Proverbs, and I said, yeah, it's sort of like going to a Chinese restaurant, grabbing a handful of fortune cookies, and trying to come up with a message, because there's so much stuff that's there, and it's, it's so disjointed. So clearly somebody thought, oh, I'll, I'll be funny, <laughs> and leave Dave some fortune cookies. I like it. All right, Proverbs 17, because we are in June 17th. Um, are you a lover or a fighter? And I want to preface today, because um, it's one of those things where you think, oh, if I'm a lover, I'm a doormat. If I'm a lover, I'm not the strong. Um, and, you know, we just sang a couple of songs about God's love and his strength and his power and his might and the fact that um, his love for us is deep. In fact, uh, Scripture tells us for those God loves, he chastises because he knows that he wants to work in their lives for their best and their good and their glory. And so it's really this whole idea of are you a lover or a fighter really speaks to the issue of motivation. What motivates you in your relationships? What motivates you as you interact with people, as you interact with the world around you, as you interact with your neighbors and all of that? So are you a lover or a fighter? Proverbs 17, if you are using a pew, Bi uh, pew Bible, chair Bible, I don't know. Page 744 is where you'll find Proverbs 17. Um, that said, Leo the lion woke up very full of himself. And so he started strutting around the jungle. And he came across a lowly little monkey. And he said, who is the mightiest of the kingdom? And the monkey just kind of like looked at him and he's like, well, well, you are, you are, of course. And uh, Leo was quite pleased with that. And uh, so he kind of kept strolling off and seeing what else was going on in the jungle. And he came across an ox. And he came up to the ox and he says, who is the mightiest of the jungle? And the ox was kind of like, well, uh, you're the mightiest, Leo, you're the mightiest. And he felt even better about himself. And so now he's feeling quite proud and he's just kind of strutting around the jungle and he comes up to an elephant and he's like, who is the mightiest of the jungle? And the elephant, as quick as lightning, grabs Leo up and starts beating him against the tree and throws him down to the ground. And he's just laying on the ground, totally destroyed. And then he stomps on him and he's as flat as a pancake. And then he slowly walks away. And Leo, lying on the ground, overwhelmed by what just happened, lifts his head up and said, if you don't know the answer, you don't have to be so angry about it. Oh, you guys aren't funny at all. He didn't get it, did he? Leo was clueless. Leo was completely clueless. It's one of those things where he, you know, we can come to the scripture and, and we can read things and we can understand it and sometimes we don't get it. We miss the point entirely. 
And, and that can be very true with Proverbs because there's so much information that you're, I, I mean, I used to struggle. I used to call it, you know, shifting. It's like you're shifting gears. You know, it's like, hey, we do this, don't do this. Do this, say this, don't say this. And it can be very overwhelming sometimes. It's, it's really designed to sit and to meditate and to kind of really think through. And so you have to take your time through Proverbs. So we're only going to pick out three today uh, that have some cohesiveness, this whole idea, are you a lover or a fighter? Um, it, it's a quiz, <laughs> in a sense. Uh, we're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at aspects of what this particular princ uh, principle looks like. And you're going to have to come to a conclusion at the end. Do you interact with people in the world in love? Or are you at war with them? So, so we'll, we'll find that out. You'll find that out. I, I, I won't. It'll probably be very uh, anonymous to me. But you'll find that out when we get to the end here. All right, so Proverbs 17, starting in verse 9. It says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. And so here we're looking at the first aspect of do you respond to things, do you react to things, okay? So he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Now, respond versus react. There's a motivation that's here. And when you respond to things, there's a premeditation, there's a thought process. You've kind of gone through it. Um, when we were, when, when I was up in the youth room, we used to talk about, you know, determine how you're going to respond to things ahead of time so when they show up, you'll kind of know how to respond. And so there's like a predetermination, there's a thought process, and, and you know what you're going to do with it. Reaction is, is totally automatic. It's one of those things where your body just does stuff. It's just muscle memory. Uh, in fact, um, there's someone in my family, uh, not me, Honestly, not me. And uh, they react to anything that looks like, could be interpreted as, or sounds like a snake. Okay? And I talk, it's, it's amazing. Uh, in fact, we were, we were coming in the door one night, and as we walked in as a group, there was something on the floor that I guess could have been perceived or seen as a snake. And literally this person jumped into the air, was like, is that a snake? And I'm thinking, it's in the living room floor. How could that even be possible? But we won't even go rational here. We'll go like, all right. But I mean, it's, that's how reaction is. And sometimes that's the way we live. We interact with people in a way where they come at us and we just react. It's just, it's, it becomes a response thing that there's no thought, there's no responding, it's just, boom, reaction. And God's challenging here, you know, if we're operating in love, we're not going to react to things. We're, we're going to let love cover some things, in fact. And that's part of the challenge, is because there's a, there's a grace element here that's covered in love and surrounded by love that we've got to learn and understand because it's very much a part of who God is, who his heart is, how he interacts with us. I mean, think about it. Think about the love that the Father bestows on us. I am amazed at his long-suffering, just how he deals with me. He knows I've got issues. <laughs> and he's willing to, to work through those and work on me and allow those things to change and to grow and be what they need to be in my life. 
and sometimes you know things need to go or some things need to be added. But he's long-suffering. He's not harsh. He's not cruel. But there are th- times when, because he loves me, he disciplines me, and that's challenging and hard. But again, that's motivated by love. All right. Now it's like all right. Surely that just means believers, right? Well, yes, uh, we've got a few verses here, all right? We, we should respond in love. We should seek love to cover transgressions. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we, we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Makes sense. Of course, you know, believers should love believers. That's, we should respond in love to them. We should act in love to them. But it goes on further because there's a purpose. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so this aspect of love, it, it, it's, it's perfecting, it's growing, it's changing, and, you know, Scripture also talks about how are they going to know we're Christians, right? By our love one toward another. And it, it sounds simple, but the world does not experience love. Godly, Christian, biblical love. The world does not experience that often. They, they have very few opportunities to really see it when you think about it. I mean, if they're not part of a church, if they're not involved with Christian people, where are they going to experience it ever? It's got to be through us. Whether it's personal relationship we have with them or whether it's corporate relationship we have with them where we're reaching out, we're involved in the community, or we're asking them to come into our fellowship and seeing it happen. Um, You know, the one thing I'm always um, surprised how overwhelmed people are when they come and visit and they aren't they don't have a church background they're like wow people are so caring people are so loving and it's just one of those things that they see it and it's very very attractive and so we have an opportunity to influence that to let them see that to open their eyes to what christian love looks like as a body So, all right, responding or reacting, okay, so we don't react, we're supposed to respond to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, that makes sense. But then God goes another step further. And that's toward our enemies. And you're like, what? Luke 6.35, and it's super simple. Super simple. Love your enemies. You, You can't confuse that, okay? You can't confuse it at all. But love your enemies, do good to them. Lend them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. God's really asking us to not only just get out of our comfort zone, but to to really step up here, to really influence even those people who are against us. And the cool part is, is just this whole aspect, acting as children of the Most High. 
for he is kind to those who are unthankful. And so there's an identity aspect that comes into place here because if we're going to be called followers of Christ, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to start identifying as his children. We should be exhibiting his traits. There should be aspects of, you know, we spend so much time with him, and there's an aspect there. We've got to be spending time with God. Not just, you know, with our brothers and sisters in Christ here, but there should be time with God that you spend, that you start hearing his heart and feeling his intentions toward humanity so that you adopt them in your own life. And that's interacting with his word. And so acting as his children and and operating in a way that even for the people who are like, not really super fun for us to deal with, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. He says, you know, lend to them with no ex- expectation of returning back. I mean, I think we're challenged to lend stuff to people we like, <laughs> let alone people that are, you know, probably going to smash it up and go, ah! you know, it's, but it, we're challenged here. There's a motivation. There's a heart. There's an attitude that's supposed to be part of who we are as people. And there's going to be some repetition today, really harsh repetition. I mean, harsh in the sense that it's over and over and over again, not so much that it's harsh. But I want us to walk out of this building today really contemplating how we live and challenging everyone that we aren't supposed to look like the world at all. Okay? So that said... There's a third group of people. So I'm like, all right, who else? We've got believers, we've got our enemies, but then all people, all people in general. Uh, Romans 13, 10, it says, Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of the law. 1 Peter 3, 10 says, For the scriptures say, If you want to love life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. And then 1 Peter 4, 8 And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And that's kind of where the challenge comes in for us, I think. Covering a multitude of sins. This whole idea of loving, motivated by love, and letting that um, deal with stuff. And I'm going to go into that a little bit more uh, in the next point. But... People genuinely sin against us oftentimes, and we struggle with that a lot. And we want to speak toward that, and we want to speak against that oftentimes. But we've got to start learning who we are in Christ and how we're living in him and allowing that to dictate our motivation toward other people. See, when we start believing how people interact with us and understand that, okay, that's our value or that's uh, our place in life, when we let that dictate, um, God can't. It's not that he can't, but it's like we're listening to them and not God. Um, Because God, as his sons and daughters, if you're you're calling yourself a follower of Christ and you're a believer, your identity is tied to him. You're his child. And as his child, that makes you holy, that makes you righteous, that makes you pure, that makes you loving and caring and graceful and all those things. And we don't feel that way a lot of times, and I get that. But we've got to remember that that's our identity and that's how we need to live. And so when someone comes at us in a way that's, you know, unlovely, (laughs) 
we've got to remember, well, you know, you know, my identity is in Christ. That's not the truth. That's someone trying to demean me. And so we can, they can say what they want, and it doesn't create a reaction. We respond in love and say, well, you can think that, but I know who I am in Christ, and that's where my identity lies. It's a different way to live. So, you'll hear this phrase a couple of times, but as believers, we are to live differently than the world around us. Okay? As believers, we are to live differently than the world around us. God is not asking us to have Christian versions of the world. He's not asking us to blend in. He's not asking us to just kind of blend into the woodwork. He wants us to stand out. He wants us to be identified. He wants us to be obvious. And that sometimes can be challenging. But before we move on, a couple questions. Are you reacting to the people around you and creating division? Or are you responding in love, providing opportunities for unity? Because that's what happens. A lot of times when we react, it creates all kinds of stuff. When we respond, we can, we can respond in a way which brings people together, brings situations to resolution. It's a completely way to live, different way to live. All right, we're going to leave with a verse in our mind and on our lips, because you're going to all say it a couple of times today. So, that said, 1 John 3.18. We're going to all say this together. You're going to be saying it a couple more times, so... <clears throat> get yourself all adjusted and ready to go, because here we go. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 1 John 3.18. I work with the kids, so we, I help them know where it, it's found. And, and you know what? It's funny. I, was like, I went through 1 John a lot as I was kind of looking up different things. That book is so rich of talking about love and God's love and interaction with love and relationships that are love-focused. So if you have extra time, spend some time in 1 John. I think you'll, you'll be encouraged by it. I know I was. But it's like, yes, we can say we, we need to love and saying it's great, but we need to show the truth by our actions. Right? They will know we are Christians by our love one to another. That means we show it. It's evident. It's obvious. It can be seen. And so it can't just be something we talk about. Oh, yeah, Christians love each other. Yeah, we're supposed to, yeah, there's, there's the love one another's and all that kind of stuff. But we've got to show it to them. And I mean, we were, you know, we're challenged. Even our enemies need to see God's love and be challenged by it. All right, so check it off in your mind. Are you, are you a responder or are you a reactor? All right. Next two. Do you tend to reject things or do you tend to release things? Let me give some qualifying statements there. First, verse 14 in Proverbs 17. It says, The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. And this whole idea of rejecting is to reject a reply that your mouth does not open even once as stuff comes at you. Um, and it, it, let me explain. <laughs> um, and, I don't know, maybe some of you remember this. We had a beaver issue at one time. Um, I go out and kind of walk around the yard and look at and trees and stuff and, you know, stress about how much stuff needs to be done. And... Um, <laughs> One day I was out, and I was like, wow, it's like the side of our yard, it was like looking very lake-like. 
and it normally doesn't look lake-like because it's not a lake. <laughs> it's the woods. And so I thought, what is causing that? And I thought, well, you know, there's a reservoir. And I thought, well, maybe a tree came down. And so that was kind of flooding the area, whatever. Start walking into the woods. First thing I come in contact with is a beaver lodge. I'm like, that's not good. So it's like, venture a little further and find the first tier of the dam. And there were like three other tiers after this, which is kind of wild. And so I'm like looking and I'm like, this is a lot of water. And it's like, if this continues to grow, basically our pool will be underwater, then our backyard will be underwater, and then our basement will fill up with water. So this can't be good. So I'm like, all right, there's got to be a way to do something about this. So, you know, there's plenty of loose wood in the woods. So I, you know, grab this branch and I go out onto the dam. And it's, it's pretty intense the way they build these things. It's just incredible. And so I'm looking at it, I'm like, hmm. So I just start kind of banging at it, you know, on the water side. And the interesting part is, is once you kind of pop a small hole into it, the pressure of water and the flow of water is unbelievable. Because all of a sudden it just kind of, you know, starts with a trickle and then it's gushing. Because just there's, once water finds a way to go, it goes. And so I did very little to get the, the flow of water to start. And it started really washing away some of the twigs, a lot of the mud kind of opened up, and then some of the other things just kind of fell out, and just this flow of water started. And I thought, problem solved, awesome. And so I just kind of, you know, felt really good about myself, and you know, ignorance is bliss. And went, you know, it's like, oh, okay, solved this problem. So I thought, well, you know, next day I went, I thought, well, let's go out and see, you know, how low the water is. Ha, 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 ha. It literally was like twice as wide and all built up and reinforced now. And it's like, you talk about busy as a beaver. Overnight, these guys are like in action. It's unbelievable. And so it's like, okay, it's, you know, here we are. It's that, from like that movie, right? It's, <laughs> exactly. So it's like, all right, well, hey, I know how this works. I just have to pop a little hole in it and pfft, there it goes, right? And so it's, it's one of those things where, did that again, and it, the same thing, same response happened. And guess what happened? The next day, it was built up, thicker and bigger and better. So it was like, okay, I've got to get a, get a solution here. So I ended up, you know, having somebody come in. Well, at first I was going to do it myself, because I'm a very do-it-yourself kind of guy. And so you can buy the traps, and you've got to get a permit from your town, and there's a season to trap them, and all this kind of stuff. And I did the calculation. And it's more to do it yourself than to call the guy who is called the, the animal guy to come and take and relocate them. So I, I called him and they did it. And there were three of them. And one was like unbelievably huge. Uh, one of the biggest the guy had ever seen, in fact. Which they had taken out two willow trees that were enormous. And they had dropped them in the, off of the side of our property. But we got them relocated and whatever. Point of the story is, you know, we have got to reject the need to respond to a lot of things. Because once we get going, it's very easy to just let the floodgates flow and flow and flow and flow and just tear people down and destroy and destruct and not act in love. And so it's, it's rejecting that, that desire, and it's, it's something that's in us. 
Uh, it's just it's something that's there. It's like, you know, we hear something or respond to something, and it's like we just want to speak into it. And it's, it's learning that, no, we've got to reject that. Because it's like once we start talking, once we start letting those things flow, once we just let it out, it's just going to be destruction. And so it's learning to reject that. And so when we reject that, because if we release it, it's going to cause destruction. But if we reject it, it can bring healing, it can bring health, it can bring the best or a better response. Um, Proverbs 13.10, which if you're reading the Proverbs right along, you read it a few days ago, says, By pride comes nothing but contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Um, I understand you've been hurt. People have said things, done things that have hurt you. And, um, you know, Ben Franklin came up, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And the ounce of prevention that we have as believers is the balm of forgiveness. Um, and, and so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, when I talk about rejecting just that floodgate of emotion to, to run rampant in your life, it's when you are hurt, when you are offended, when something comes your way that overwhelms you, it's learning to go to forgiveness instead of just venting about it. And it's one of those things where, you know, if you don't repeat it, right, because repetition was the last habit. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. So it's like if, if you can reject that desire, that fleshly need to just like, can you believe this happened? And we can go down that road, right? And I understand sometimes you need to talk to somebody and just say, you know, am I, is my thinking right here? Is this okay? And get some clarity. That's one thing. But it's another thing to just kind of like <laughs> verbal diarrhea all over somebody and just kind of about somebody else. It's better to just come to the Lord and just say, Lord, I can't handle this, you know, what happened here. I was hurt. I was wounded. I was offended. I was whatever. I'm going to just give that to you, right? Peter says, cast all your care upon God because he cares for you. Learning to do that. Put it in God's hands. Let him deal with it. Let him take care of it. And learning to, as forgiveness to be our first response versus revenge. Because fury is the other thing, right? And I'll talk about that in a second. Forgiveness needs to be our first response. Learning to reject that need to speak into those situations. If you need to speak to somebody about it, talk to God. He's going to respond the best way. He's not going to take up an offense. It's funny, that, that's, that occasionally counseling, that'll happen to me. Somebody will be talking about a situation, and it's like, it's so emotional, and it's so intense, and it's just like, all of a sudden, I'm getting like, <gasps> and I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't my thing. Why am I getting all so cranked up about it? But that's how we are as people. So that's why it's so important that we go to God about a lot of our stuff instead of people, because he can handle it. People, we struggle with it. Learning to forgive. Fury is another response, right? Our words can build up or tear down. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So this whole idea of, you know, do you reject saying anything or do you just let your words fly? It's like, you know, it's learning. I need to forgive instead of just responding in fury or reacting in fury. That would probably be the more concise way to say that. And so it's, it's 
learning a motivation, learning a heart attitude, and then operating in that way. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. So, again, as believers, we are to live differently than the world around us. Um, and and I, I hear people responding, reacting. I need, to, I need to get my own words right. I see people reacting in fury often. Um, I don't know what it is about the grocery store, but people are intense at the grocery store. And I have seen women battling you know, in a grocery line because someone's got in front of them or, you know, oh, you have one more thing. And it's like, it's just a riot to me. But that's how the world interacts with themselves. And we are, we as believers are to live differently than the world around us. So in this next check off in your head, are you rejecting the appeal to confront every offense, promoting peace, or... Are you releasing that fury that wells up within you, creating conflict? So you need to check that off one way or the other. It's, it's up to you. So are you responding versus reacting? Are you rejecting the need to speak versus releasing everything that comes, that floor, fury within? But then we have to be reminded, right? 1 John 3.18. Say it with me. Dear children... Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 1 John 3, 18. Let us show the truth. They want to see it. They need to see it. Um, and we have the greatest opportunity to show it. So it's got to be a part of our life. All right, third and final, verse 19. It says, He who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. Now, I was really interested in this last part of this verse because I'm like, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense to me. He who exalts his gate seeks destruction. But there's actually some, some really interesting truth and uh, there's two perspectives that are, are available here. Um, in different parts of Palestine, they are indebted to have their doors of their courts and houses very low, not more than three feet. And what this does is it prevents Arabs who scarcely ever leave the back of their horses to come into their courts and houses spoiling their goods. So there's, there's some purpose to this. Um, so that it's said that he who, through pride and pretension, makes high gates, exposes himself to destruction, and is said to have, said to hear, seek destruction, um, because he must know that this would be a necessary consequence of exalting his gate. So it's a true thing in Palestine, which is kind of interesting. Now, there's also an alternative view, which is, Gate is to um, be seen here or referring to the mouth, and the exalting of the gate is to mean proud boasting or arrogant speaking, such as to have a tendency to kindle and maintain strife. Some say that this interpretation seems to better fit the scope and context of this particular verse. You can choose which one you want to believe. But when you look at both of this perspectives here, it, it, it's dealing with pride, it's dealing with pretension, it's dealing with arrogance, it's dealing with the person who 
It's about them. And so that's where you've got, you've got to kind of come to grips with you know, is life going to be about me? Is it going to be about my feelings and how I've been wronged and all of that? Or am I going to use these circumstances in my life as an opportunity to show Christ? A few verses that challenge this strife-filled thinking. James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and strife, this whole idea of selfish ambition, uh, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. First uh, Timothy 6.4 says, Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up strife, arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Luke 22.24, Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And so we're not just dealing with this happens in the unsaved world. This happens within the church. I mean, we had two people who were following Christ that their concern was, and they were, their strife and arguing was about, who's the greatest? Who's going to be beside you? And it's like, this is something that can creep in anywhere and everywhere, and we've got to be cautious about it. But then we're challenged in 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3, it says, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature Aren't you living like the people of the world? And, and so the challenge here is, again, being motivated by love instead of being motivated to respond. I want to say that wrong. React is a challenge here. Because it's one of those things that doesn't just affect the unsaved world. It comes into the church. It can be part of the church. Because guess what? There's an enemy that wants to disrupt. There's an enemy that wants to destroy. There's an enemy that wants to ruin what God wants to produce. And if he can get us as a body of believers to get divided and isolated, guess who wins? That's why unity and oneness becomes such a powerful thing. Being motivated by love becomes a powerful thing because as a body of believers, we can influence whole communities operating in love. And yes, we can do that individually, and we can do that with greater intensity as a, a body of corporate believers as well. But the thing is, is it's got to start with every one of us. Each one of us needs to start operating and being motivated by love and not being motivated to fight back on these things. Operating in love. And as we do that individually and then bring that into the church and be worried about what God's doing and how he wants things to happen and motivate, motivate by love, by love, by love, the unity and the love that's then seen here becomes a powerful force that can influence a community and maybe even a region, and possibly even a state. It's available. But the thing is, is we've, got to, we've got to attach to it. We've got to gravitate to it. Because a lot of times we think, oh, that's too big, and oh, that can't happen, and oh, that's just crazy. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So that's why we have got to trust him instead of our own logic and our own thinking. We've got to trust him. And he says, if you do these things, it's going to be different. Your life will be different. I will be at work. I can do these things. All right. Boop. I'm almost there. As believers, we are to live differently than the world around us. And so 
living by the spirit versus living by the flesh becomes a completely different way of life. And when the spirit is the, the greater in control, that's where blessing shows up. That's where we see God's hand more. That's where we hear his voice because the spirit is working in concert with us. But when we live by the flesh, there's a whole lot more pride, pretension, anxiety, frustration, and all that other stuff that goes with it. So that becomes a great litmus for how am I operating? You know, if you're experiencing blessing and positive things in your life, chances are you're following God and you're living in the Spirit. If you're dealing with strife and anxiety and pretension, chances are you're leaning more towards the flesh. You have a choice. As believers, we are to live differently than the world around us. Two more questions. Are you exhibiting restraint toward worldliness, operating in love toward others? Or are you living in rivalry toward the things of God, opposing his truth and his principles? And I get it. Sometimes it's, it's hard to live in the path that God has for us. It's just challenging. Sometimes it goes against what we've always lived like. Sometimes it goes against our thinking. Sometimes it goes against logic. Sometimes it just it feels awkward and doesn't feel right. But we're supposed to live by truth, not by feelings. That's how we're supposed to live. And the thing is, is God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And we've got to trust him more than we trust ourselves. Last time, say it with me. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. 1 John 3.18. You guys are excellent students. Let us show the truth by our actions. Powerful, powerful opportunity for us as believers. Let's not lose that opportunity. Pray with me. Lord, you are a good, good father. And we are humbled. I am overwhelmed by your goodness, your greatness, your power, your might, your strength, and yet you are so tender and caring and concerned for us. Lord, may we walk out of here today challenged to operate, to be motivated by love and not that desire to retaliate and to let fury just spew back because we've been hurt. Lord, draw us closer to your side, more into your word, so that we can really get a full grasp of your heart and your thinking and your motivation for how you want us to interact with this world. Lord, use us as your instruments to influence the very neighborhoods, homes, communities, businesses that we have interaction with, Lord. Help us to influence them in a way that they see your love, your truth, the truth of your word, so that we can see more and more come to Christ and be changed. Lord, we're humbled by who you are. We're encouraged by the power and strength that you have. And we know, Lord, that we desperately need you to work in our lives in such a way that we operate in the spirit and not according to the flesh. We thank you and we praise you for another day to serve you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Have an awesome week.